welcome once again to Dead Men Talking. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing great. I hope you are. I'm well. I'm Arnie Harper, and you are? Buddy Johnson. Pastor at Stock Creek Baptist Church, I believe. Yes, that yes, that is correct. Best you can remember, you're still the pastor at Stock Creek Baptist <laughs> Church. Unless something unusual happened after <laughs> Sunday's message. Then yes. By the way, actually, Sunday's message was fabulous. We and I haven't had a chance to talk about that yet, but good, uh, solid, strong, fabulous gospel message. I really enjoyed it. Well, obviously, to God be the glory. Um, looking at Hebrews 12 and and focusing, obviously, on the gospel we have throughout Hebrews, the picture of uh, Christ, the better, everything. Uh, and, and just another call for our total and complete surrender to Him. Yeah. I had to run out. I couldn't stick around long after service, so we didn't get a chance. We'd talk Usually after service, I didn't get to stick around, but I did want to let you know I really enjoyed it. It was a fabulous, good sermon. Oh, good day in the Lord. We had a good time. It was a good service, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Had my uh, daughter and son-in-law got to come hang out with us for a service, which was really cool. They were in from out of town. and Yeah, and that's what I want to ask you about. So you had to rush out. You had some uh, some festivities, some activities going on in the afternoon. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm... Um, I don't know if you and I've talked. I've got, so a lot of my friends, I'm 56. I'm a young, you know, middle-aged guy. They uh, <laughs> will move on rapidly. I uh, But I've got lots of friends that have grandkids. So it's really been kind of gnawing for about a year now. I've been like, man, I really want grandkids. Well, I was fortunate. My daughter got married back in May uh, to a fine young man that, uh, I've told him this and I've told others I couldn't have picked a better guy if I'd went out and picked uh, a husband for my wife. I couldn't have done a better job my, myself than she did. Absolutely. And I saw a really fine young man and uh, just got word recently that they are expecting their first child, my first grandchild. So we had the afternoon. We got to do the gender reveal thing and find out our uh, my first grandchild and their first child is going to be a little boy. That's that is awesome, and they're going to name him Logan. I saw. That's correct. You know, Logan Tate. Logan Tate will be his name. So very good, unless that changes. And I like the way you know you just came right out there proudly and said you were fifty six years old. You know, being older <laughs> than me. That's a. I really appreciate uh, the fact that. Now, the joke is Arnie's a month older than uh, one, 30 so, days older than you. So, that's it. So over that's one it. month, he's a decrepit old For man. For one month out of the year, I get to hear pretty regularly about how much older I am. <laughs> but uh, It's tough being old. Yeah, it is. No, it's, congratulations. Uh, that's an incredible thing. Uh, I can't imagine. I think it's going to be a little while before I have a grandchild. Yeah. Uh, so I just hope that by the time I have one, I still have enough strength left to actually hold it in my arms. So we'll we'll see, but well, congratulations! That's an incredible. Yeah, thing. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for them, uh, and uh, and I'm excited to be able to hang out and play with grandkids. It's yeah. going to be, of course, I might have to probably fly twenty hours away to go visit them. So, but but that's it'll be worth it. It'll be yeah. good. I like to travel, so that's cool. It'll be good. So, wait, one other thing: Are you ready for snow? I like it. Um, you know, where we live now, it can be kind of tough getting out, maybe. We'll find out. But, um, yeah, I enjoy it. I, there's something that's – it's it's kind of the same thing as with a fire. I love to sit by a fire and 
the crackling of the wood. There's something that's incredibly calming to me about that. Yeah. I think that's true for a lot of people, but snow has that same effect on me. Uh, I just love to watch it. There, there's something about it that just soothes the soul. Yeah. And so I like, you know, everybody complains about the mess and the cold and the driving and all that. Certainly it's all there, but there's just something that is just so beautiful and calming about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I'm kind of a weather bug. I like getting out on the porch when, storms whatever that kind of stuff sitting out watching them and i've always noticed some i guess it's just the density of the snow man everything just gets so quiet when it snows mm. i'm assuming that's it right the density of it falling through the air probably deadens everything i don't know i had meteorology one for a semester in school but i don't i don't remember <laughs> yeah sure well, yeah we'll go with that we're gonna go with the density <laughs> we'll go, of we'll the, go with the density of, of ice crystals <laughs> falling out of the sky All right, what are we going to talk about for real today my friend well uh from uh, the last 10 seconds of our conversation probably not science <laughs> <laughs> i definitely won't be much of a contributor if you know. oh no uh, i should be as my undergraduate I degree, say, yeah that's right biology. you're a science but teacher. biology so we can talk about cutting up frogs maybe not weather oh, okay right. no um we have been talking about truth and uh it's kind of been a a theme and really how that relates to our society and the fact that our society pushes truth out. And we've kind of alluded to a couple of other things along the way, uh, looking at how the powers that be in our world, uh, the forces, cultural, political, whatever it may be, uh, that are seeming to come to power in our society right now and how opposed they are to truth. And one of the, one of the veins of that is certainly socialism. Uh, many people would say that um, there's been this socialism vein in our government um, for many, many years, many decades. But certainly right now in the news and in the culture and in some of the political party, uh, there's this move of socialism. And I briefly mentioned uh, last week or the week before that one of the primary things of socialism is to get God out. God has to God has to go. And so I like to think about things like that. Why? And, and if we as Christians are going to address this, I think we need to kind of think about these things and understand the underlying principles. So why? And what occurred to me is that the reason that they need to get God out um, is because in order for socialism to work, in order for the government, whether it's socialistic or whatever it may be, in order for the government to take control, faith, hope, and love need to be removed from a society in the context of God. Um, that, that can't be there because those powers, those factors in a person's life cause them to rebel against being controlled by a government. And so for that reason, God has to be pushed out. So whether it's prayer being taken out of the schools or God being uh, scratched out of the Pledge of Allegiance, or taking a hammer and chisel and chiseling away from some of our statues, the Ten Commandments, or whatever it may be, uh, God has to go. So I thought about that in the context of faith, hope, and love, and specifically how are they trying to remove those things. Yeah, well, um, so I'm going to back up just a second just to say I think there are an incredible amount of signs, really obvious signs in our culture, in our society, in our government different levels of where we live today that absolutely scream the message that there is an effort 
to move that direction, right? It always has been, but it seems to be ramping up right now to move in a more socialistic uh, direction. So I just want to kind of address that. I think we're Okay, so you and I grew up in the 60s and 70s, right? We were kids in the 60s and 70s. We never imagined there would be another country different than that, than what where we've grown up, where we've always, you know, a free uh, democratic republic country that, you know, just kind of operates the way it always has been. But I think we're kidding ourselves. We've got to, as a society and as believers in Christ, I believe we've got to come to terms with the reality, not necessarily that it's going to happen. We can disagree on that. But the one thing I think is important that we understand is there certainly is these big, really red flag, these strong messages of that want to move us in a socialistic direction, which could, depending on how far that goes or whatever, could uh, fundamentally change how we maybe even worship, uh, how we, you know, educate, how we go about business, all those things. But primarily we're probably going to talk about, uh, how that might affect us as far as worship. So faith, hope, and love, right. they've got to be removed. Those are barriers, stumbling box to a socialistic, uh, society moving forward. Right. And those are the reasons that God has to be removed. You know, when you saying that kind of made me think in the decade shortly before and, or the decades shortly before you and I come along on the earth, uh, there was a day in which in Hollywood under the suspicion of being a communist or a socialist, you could be blacklisted. Yeah. Now being a communist moves you up in the hierarchy. Uh, you know, that will it used to cost you your career. Now it wins you roles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, and the and, opposite is true, actually, because there are people that kind of hide. You hear of actors that kind of hide and downplay their uh, thoughts if they're maybe too conservative or whatever that it may cost them work at this point. Right. Yeah, that's they exactly right. And, well, and to have a, a viable candidate for the presidency who will, you know, though he nuances it, uh, of course, but basically it is a socialist. Right. That shows how far we've come. Yeah. So, you know, to the question, uh, why does God have to go? Well, we'll start with faith. Um, faith can be defined like this, a surrendered trust, a giving yourself to God so that he would control your thoughts, your words, your deeds, and your goals. So if we think of faith in that way, I surrender everything because I trust God. I trust that God is going to take control of my mind and my words and my deeds, my aspirations, my purpose. Uh, that is what faith is. And so if you think about how that stands in the way of the left, the left must have surrendered to government. Um, if there is a person who is surrendered to God, that's an opposition. That's a problem. That's there. There's going to be this thing within that person that's always going to be say, "Wait a minute, I can't hand this over to them." I mean, forget the idea of American freedom and liberty. If I'm a Christian and I'm surrendered to God, there's always going to be that check in my spirit when the government asks more and more surrender of me. Right. And so they can't have people around like that. Uh, faith is a confirmation to Christ. And what the American socialist movement wants to do 
is to bring a confirmation to the thoughts and the perspectives of government. Okay, so we run into a problem. So God's spoken to his church, right? Very clearly in the written word of God. So if people have faith in God and seek this God and seek him through his word that he's spoken directly to them, truth in written form, the words of God himself, if those are contrary to what the government says, we got a problem. Right. Uh, because all of that is moving us to be conformed to Christ. Yeah. And what in a, when in a socialistic movement, what they want is confirmation to a controllable citizenry. Yeah. They want you to mold into the collective. They want you to see yourself as just a part of this mass that is controllable by them. So you are conformed into that mindset. You know, yeah. I, I'm not a Trekkie, but the idea of the Borg, you know, the Borg takes over and there's no greater or lesser. They're all just kind of consumed into this. And so there is this surrender, uh, not to some higher power or some deeper purpose or some more uh, beautiful aspiration, but simply to the function of the whole. And so that's what, that's what, is needed by a socialistic movement. The means that they do that with, with faith, the way that that happens is an, is an internal transformation. God changes our heart on the inside so that we are then conformed to Christ. And there right. is that. What the other thing does, what um, socialism does, is there's an, indoctr an indoctrination by external forces. So the mind has to be brainwashed is maybe a strong term, but indoctrinated for sure by the culture, uh, by the educational system, by the government, by whatever means is necessary, by the pressures of social media, uh, whatever is necessary to indoctrinate the mind into a way of thinking. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's got to be a transformation of how people view and approach uh, life in in society. It's got to be totally transformed, right? Yeah, and if and if my if my purpose, I now see my purpose is to be conformed to Christ because I have totally surrendered everything to Him. Then my spirit, the spirit of God within me, is going to scream out. No, wait a minute. They want to take this right away. They want to take this way of living away. They want to take this choice away. They want me to surrender to them. Uh, my spirit is going to scream out against that. So they have to segregate God. They have to move God out of the picture, even making it illegal. Well, I was fixing to say how they go about that by uh, over-regulating how worship is... Uh, approached right as right. far as from a from a congregational standpoint whether that be limiting the type of hours you can or what you can say what you can do uh limiting that limiting you know there's it's hard to fathom but yeah at what limits do they stop i mean so let's think about this a fascist society of nazi germany now i'm i'm somewhat a student of World War II history, but I've heard people talk about how the Christian churches at that time somewhere went from a place of seeking God, honoring God, to the end, the, the end result was 
they were draping altars with swastikas in Germany. How do you get there? Is it a slow step-by-step indoctrination? Is that what we could anticipate maybe in our society? I mean, I'm not saying swastikas, but I mean, you start out one place, you it's unfathomable that you would end up here, but yet you wake up one day and that's where you're at. Yeah, that and dude, <laughs> that's that that's a deep issue. You know, I don't I don't even know how to answer how that happens. That's a question that's been asked a lot. How does Germany get there? Uh, but without digressing too far, higher criticism, which basically is the deconstruction of the text of Scripture, uh, which is which is removing the supernatural aspect of it, if you will, and taking it down to to common literature written by man, that had permeated through Germany, and so what you have is a weakening of the understanding of the power mm. and the efficacy of the word. Mm. Uh, so that is throughout the German churches, and so. Uh, Again, we can come back to the issue of truth, uh, where the Bible becomes this book of uh, suggestions, this book of um, a way for me to explore my ideas of God or deity or whatever it is, uh, however you want to word that. Uh, when it becomes that and not this transformative, transformative, powerful thing in my heart and in my soul, when I don't honor that word, when I don't see that, now I'm, now I'm susceptible. And so when all of these forces move us, you know, you can make things illegal and that moves people. Right. Uh, people fear that. And of course, in Nazi Germany, in socialism where it has risen, I mean, there is that fear. They just disappear you, right? right. I mean, so there's that fear. But but humanity can work on uh, much lesser pressures, you know, peer pressure. Uh, what, what makes you look intelligent? What makes you uh, seem educated? What makes you seem with it? What puts you in line with those who are in power so that you can be in power too? And so I think all of those things happen. There's a great rise of nationalism in, in Germany. You know, we are superior. So there's many avenues of that, but they tie into the same thing we're talking about. Am I surrendered to God or am I willing to be surrendered to the government? You know, if, and, I've, and the more I'm surrendered to self, the more I'm going to be susceptible to being surrendered to a socialistic government because they are going to tell me, they're going to sell me that if I'm surrendered to them, I'm going to position myself to experience life in a more pleasurable, easy, secure way. Right. So that's, that's the importance why they need to remove faith. Let's talk about hope. Yeah. Um, hope, uh, again, there's a thousand ways you can define these kinds of things, but uh, for the sake of our discussion here, I, I think of it like this. A confidence in having support and ultimate outcomes based in God. So I have a confidence. I'm not. Hope is not a wishful thing. It's this confidence in God that he is going to support me. He is going to walk with me through life and the ultimate outcomes of life, all things working to good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So I have this in ultimate outcomes. So my security then uh, depends upon God and my opportunity. Now I have optimism for the future. So no matter what life throws, I will weep, I will mourn, I, I may suffer. And the Bible tells us that those things will happen in this world. But I am dependent upon God, so I'm secure. Because I know that no matter what happens, God is with me. 
that also breeds in me an optimism that there right. is a better day. I hope there's a better day tomorrow, but there may not be. There right. may not be a better day until I breathe my last breath, but I have this this blessed eternal hope. yeah, this blessed hope, this eternal optimism that drives me. Yeah. So now what does socialism need? Socialism needs for you to be dependent in your security on them. Yeah. They're going to make they're going to take care of that and the opportunity then is controlled by them. So who gets opportunity, whatever is controlled by them. So I can't have, if I'm, if I'm a socialist, I can't have people with this hope that is based upon God, this optimism, this strength of spirit that is there. That has to be broken or they will never submit to getting their security, getting their everything from me. And socialism sells that, right? They say, yeah. oh, hey, this is a way that everybody will be okay. Right. We're all going to be on uh, a level playing field, all of us, and it's because of the opportunity given by the system. Right, right. But you know, something you say level level playing field. <laughs> they, they they promise we, that. Go ahead. We we we're trying to have this discussion without being too political because these are real things. It'll affect. Politics certainly is a big part of it, but this isn't meant to be a political discussion, right? Right. But 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 you can't avoid that. Correct. Because that is a venue by which it is attacking Christianity. Yes. We want an atmosphere of Christ in our country, right? And you say level playing field. I don't want to take up too much of our time with this, but there was, there's a thought that crossed my mind in, in socialism, and we need to be aware of this. It's not about a level playing field. It's about a level scoreboard. So imagine this. you got two teams playing. You're in the first half, yeah. right? So they're out there playing, and at the end of the first half, the score is 50 to 45. Okay? So now uh, in socialism, here's we what happens. we got to figure out how the other team could get five more points. Well, here, but, but here's what socialism <laughs> does. It's even worse than that. So here's what they do. Uh, you can imagine the score as dollars or opportunities or whatever you want to imagine the score as, but here's what socialism does. It says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 45 points away from the winning team, and we're going to make their score five. And then we're going to take 40 points away from the team that was behind, and their score is going to be five. So now everybody's happy, right? The score is five to five. And so now it's halftime. Now, Team one has five points. Team two has five points. And guess what? The government, help me with the math. The government has. Wow, they got a lot of points, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> the, so the government has 45 plus 40, 85 points. Right. Okay, so now, so now it's time for the second half. So here's what the government says. Go out and play your hearts out, comrade. It's all equal. <laughs> Go out and play to you strive, you struggle, you you try to win. And so so you know they get all charged up. Oh, this is great. You know, after they've overcome the idea that hey, wait a minute, I had 50 points and now I just got Oh, but trust me, it's for the good. And so they go out onto the field and they begin to play and to strive and what happens is they score but no points go up. So the government decides when they're then going to give the points back. So now they've controlled it. Now, so do I have any hope that either I'm going to receive the fruit of my labor or that there's going to be equity or that there's going to be anything? 
No, the government keeps storing up points, and then they just arbitrarily decide. So who do they then give the points back to? Whoever most submits to their will mm. and whoever will most further their agenda. In that environment, hope dies. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we got to kill faith. we got to kill hope. Let's talk about love. Yeah. Can I go back to one more thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm moving too fast. Well, just, no, just talk about the means of how they do that. How do they destroy hope? I mean, it's the keeping of the points thing. But but even before you get to that point, you destroy somebody's hope, confidence, optimism, those kinds of things, create chaos, bring fear into society, yeah. play up fear and uncertainty as much as you can, highlight the dark. There's a dark winter coming. You know, highlight the dark, make fear the, the the primary thing. Don't dare bring in optimism. Don't dare bring in those things. Why? Because if I am optimistic, if I'm confident, if I'm hopeful, hopeful. if I'm secure, right. then I'm going to strive forward and I am not going to want to be shackled and dependent upon the government. I don't, I don't need for daddy to hold my hand and run along beside the bike. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but if but if there's fear, if there's trepidation, uh, and then they something that you mentioned yesterday, we were having a conversation to capitalize on crisis. Uh, that's what I, I I highlight the dark. When crisis comes, I capitalize on it. Again, I'm not going to go too far, or maybe I create <laughs> crisis. Possibly, we can have that conversation yeah. another time. Yeah. I'm dying to say that. On At air, the very least, though, yeah. you capitalize on it. At the very right? least, you capitalize on the crisis. And so, what do you do? You create an air of despair. Yeah, gloom and doom. But wait, Good here's old, your answer. Right here, we are to take care of you. Here's the answer. The check will be in your mailbox at the first <laughs> of the month, and the. And the reward will be there if you will simply capitulate and walk along my way. Surrender. It will all be fair. You'll you'll have food in your belly. You'll have medicine in your cabinet. You'll have um, all of the acriments of of a wealthy society. Those will all be given to you, comrade. And never mention that they can be taken away, that eventually the money will run out. Those, so you, you're playing on despair. How despairing do I have to be before I say, instead of doing anything for myself, I'm just going to give up and let the government be the one who takes care of all my needs? Yeah. So I right. love. <laughs> We're ready to talk about love. So why do we got to, why does socialism need to, uh, attack love. Well, that, that's that's kind of one of the most interesting things to me as I thought about that because, you know, the Bible talks about and now there remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? So I thought about that. Why does, why does um, faith need to be removed? Uh, why does um, hope need to go? But then love was a little harder. So I thought about that and I thought about that. And here's, here's what hit me. One, uh, Love, let's define it biblically first, it's self-sacrificing commitment to advance someone else. Uh, obviously pictured most uh, poignantly on the cross. Jesus sacrifices his life for the benefit of those he will save. Uh, certainly he is glorified in that. 
uh, but he is interceding so that they will receive something at great cost to himself, great pain, great suffering, the bearing of the sin of mankind, incredible self-sacrifice for the good of someone else. So here's what hit me. Okay, so why does it need to go? Well, one, love says this, I want better for those that I love than I want for myself. I, I'm not I'm not satisfied with the idea of mediocrity for those that I love. You know, put it, put it in a very common term, like, okay, for your grandson, little Logan Tate. That's oh, I love along. him. You already, yeah, I mean, he's already a person. Absolutely. Has been a person since before eternity began. Yeah. And, and you're going to already start imagining dreams and aspirations. Here's what you're not going to dream. Wow, I hope that little Logan Tate turns out just like everybody else, a model of mediocrity that he has just so he has some pinto beans and a piece of bread on his plate and that he can get by and scrape by in a little 10 by 10 apartment that the government provides for him. Man, that's, that, that is what I dream for little Logan Tate. That's not it at all because you love him already. You hope whatever potential God has given him, I hope he fulfills it. I hope he finds deep joy in God. I hope he breathes in and drinks in deeply of everything that this life has to offer in a way that he uh, aspires to high and great and noble things. And that in all of those things, he'll be able to glorify. I mean, you can go on and on with that, right? Right. You don't hope, man, I hope he becomes a model of mediocrity <laughs> because you love him. Right. But if you're a socialist mentality, you can't have people thinking that way. Because now they're, they're going to strive against the chains. They're going to push against the resistance. Because love says, man, I want better for them. Uh, you know, and, and then the second thing is this. In love, when I give something, I give something to enhance them. Okay, so again, since uh, this is a great uh, example, little Logan Tate, time's going to come along. You're going to you're going to give him gifts, right? Whether it's Christmas, birthday, or just because Papa loves him, or whatever you're going to be, G Pop or over Granddad, Granddad, okay, a little more sophisticated. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so whatever Granddad gives him, you're going to give him things that will bring him joy or that will be practical to him, that will be useful to him. Uh, you're going to give him things that will be for him. In socialism, gifts are given to manipulate control. Hmm. And so, again, love will recognize that. Love will push against that. It's the opposition to that. And so socialism says, I can't have that. I've got to have a devotion to government. I've got to have this uh, this will. Uh, you know, they don't even need government to be loved. They just need to be feared, right? Uh, or the fear of losing it, uh, or whatever it may be. But but you can't have love. Yeah. Well, I'm as as I'm talking. I'm I'm as we're talking. I'm thinking on this thought of love. And I don't know if we want to go this direction, but it almost looks to me like we've got a. So our our society, the overwhelming majority of our, our society has this really misconception of what love you and I are talking about biblical love, right. what God designed love to be. So we already struggle with that in a society of what is love. Right. So 
does a socialistic uh, movement, does it try to redef- instead of eliminating love, does it try to redefine what that love is? So if you don't, if you don't, if, if, if you don't want the score to be the same at the end of the game, you don't love your neighbor. Right. If, if you don't want everybody to have the exact same thing you've got, and I'm not talking about this, I'm not talking about a greed thing that again, we fight as Americans, right? We, this selfish greed thing. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about if you don't want your neighbor to have the same thing you've got, the same standard, the same clothes, the same, you know what I'm saying? This, you don't love your neighbor. Right. Yeah. They can create this narrative of division, right? So they bring racism, sexism, whatever in. And so what you need to do is, is to capitulate to the mindset that they have of what love is, of, of what is meaningful. But what they really mean by that is our definition of culture, because that definition of culture is what we can control. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we use the idea of tolerance. So you tolerate, well, we're way past that, right? right. We're, we're not being called to tolerate things. We're being called to uh, exalt them almost uh, to fully embrace. <laughs> yeah, if you can't and fully embrace and, in, and fight for the cause, you're the problem. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you're right. I mean, they do, they guilt us that way because they use that term love. If you love your neighbor, if you care about your neighbor, you'll be willing to give up, you know, all kinds of your hard earned wealth or whatever it may be so that you can protect others. Now, Christian side of that, we're called to take care of our brothers and sisters. Absolutely, That's a rat. But we're what we're not called to is to give half of our income so that three quarters of the half that we give goes to support government bureaucracy. And one tiny smidgen of that goes to actually help people. Yeah. Uh, that that becomes the problem. So we're feeding the beast of government, but they try to play the love card. Yeah, I've heard that more probably this year from non-Christians. This, well, don't you love your neighbor? Didn't Jesus teach us to love our neighbor? As a matter of fact, I think there was a political candidate uh, in 2020 that said, God said the greatest commandment was to love your neighbor. The greatest commandment. I think he missed that quote a little bit. I think he said that Jesus actually taught love God with all your heart. It was the number one commandment. and Love your neighbor as yourself was the second commandment. He totally missed it. But that was his quote. The greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. And I've heard other people uh, say that. So we, we as Christians need to be really, real careful when we hear people say things like that, we need to listen with discerning ears. Uh, always go back to what God said, right? That's yeah. truth. That's the cornerstone. That's the bedrock of what we believe. Yeah, and that's out of the Saul Alinsky playbook. I mean, one of the things that he said was is that uh, the way that you kind of gain power over your enemy, so to speak, and that being us, or certainly evangelical Christians, um, is that you hold their feet to their own proclamations. Uh, so like that, 
okay, so you're a Christian, so you need to love. But what they do is they twist the definition. Right. So, and then we fall for it. Yeah. Oh, we don't want them to think we're not, so we're we're gonna fall for this. Well, yeah. When when if I love my neighbor as myself, uh, does that mean that I tolerate? I mean, let's use the example of Jesus. Is there anybody ever loved more than him? He's the one that said that, right? Right. But he didn't tolerate sin. Correct. You know, he he looked at the woman at the well and said, you know, where's your husband? <laughs> She goes, well, I don't, well, you know, yeah, you've had a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, here, here's, here's your problem. The rich young ruler, man, you, you, you love and lust after money and possessions. You know, he, he loved people. And the Bible says specifically of the rich young ruler as he walked away that Jesus loved him. Yeah. So the idea of love and us loving people is not, that tolerating we sin right. and not and not ignoring playing like sin is not there it, it's the, it's the courage of our convictions to love them in truth enough to tell them the truth yeah and we certainly do seek to provide for we don't want anybody to be hungry we don't want anybody to be sick without medical care we want to take care of all of those things and we should and as a country we do better than any nation in history ever has yeah at that even you know, I mean, we just have. Um, so again, the ideas of love, but American socialism or socialism, uh, it doesn't mind a even the greedy kind of love. It just doesn't need the biblical love. Yeah. If I'm focused on me, uh, you know, and I'm not outward, then I can be manipulated. You know, if because I'm going to fear that I'm going to lose something, so greed plays into that as well. But yeah, you're right. I mean, to to redefine what they mean when they say love. Yeah. So, how do we want to wrap this up? That's we want to talk about what we need to do to protect our hearts as from uh, as as believers, followers of Jesus. How, what what do we do to really uh, protect ourselves from something that obviously a system that wants to lead us astray. Yeah. I think the first thing, and it just occurred to me, Hey, let's, let's coin a phrase. If it hasn't been coined already, let's do it. Uh, Christian wokeism. How about that? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Christian wokeism. All the way on board yet, but <laughs> I might let you talk me into it. Christian or biblical wokeism. Hmm. We need to be awake to it. So, yeah. so when I look out across the landscape of the news or society or culture, I need to understand what's going on. There are certainly forces at play that are deeper and more powerful, spiritual things, spiritual dynamic and warfare that's going on that's not just flesh and blood. So I don't just look at a candidate or I don't just look at a movement or I don't just do it and go, oh, yeah, that person, that person. That. I understand that there's a deeper spiritual thing going on, but I have to be aware of what they're doing. So why do they hate God? Uh, is it just because they hate God? Uh, no, there's something that they're trying to do. They there's are, an end game. There's an end result. We're yeah, not, yeah, exactly. It's tearing away. So to just be aware. Now I can stand against it, and I can also speak toward it. What is real love when I, when I talk with somebody from the left? It, okay, uh, don't you Christians? I'm in the workplace. Don't you Christians love people? Well, then you should be for this. Wait a minute. 
I think everybody's physical needs should be met. Man, we as the church could do so much better, but let me tell you what love really means. This is what love is, to tell somebody not just how they can have their next meal or how they can become dependent upon the government, but how they can run to God and find ultimate life and forgiveness and sustenance. Uh, Same thing with hope. You know, what a despairing thing to me to think that everybody would be dependent upon the government because what I depend upon is what controls me. Yeah. And so if my hope is in God, then God controls me. I'm good with that because he's ultimately loving. He's perfectly holy. I'm okay with that. But if I am dependent upon, if my hope, if my confidence and my security and my any kind of vision toward the future is dependent upon the government taking care of me, then they control me. By the way, that's another tenet of of moving socialism into a society. The more people that you can make poor, the more people you can make dependent upon the government, the more you can control them because they fear losing all that you're providing. Yeah. Well, if God is my provider, if he gives me my daily bread, if I focus on that with him and I understand that that's what they're doing, I can now speak to it and I can guard against it having an impact on my mind and my psyche. Same thing with faith. You know, what am I really surrendered to? What am I, who, who, where is my allegiance really? So now am I free from this? Am I, am I, am I function on a plane above that? So to become aware of those things, I'm surrendered to God. My confidence and security is in God. And I desire to love in a biblical way and, and not, and not to be manipulated by those kinds of government forces that want to take control of me and my life. Well, I think that's a great place to hop off today. uh, I think it was a really good, profitable conversation today. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, I always uh, reserve uh, judgment on that until I go back and listen to it. it. I feel pretty good. Well, I don't know how it'll sound, but I do know this. I enjoyed our conversation. I think it's pretty insightful for me. And... uh, worth worthwhile things for us as believers followers of jesus to be thinking about yeah absolutely and congratulations again thanks yeah thanks granddad again. yeah i like granddad that. i like you got a good ring too you got plenty of hot chocolate for tonight uh, no, I'm, I'm a coffee guy i'm uh, a coffee okay. guy okay. i'm just gonna look out the window and hope that it snows all right well let it snow love you love and you, we brother. will see you next time on dead men talking you got it.